Welcome everyone to join us again this, uh, this morning as we worship together. Those of you who've been following along, you know we're being on a series called Beneath the Surface. Uh, we're taking a deep dive into the un- invisible part of many of our lives. Um, 90, we talked about this analogy, 10% is visible, 90% of the iceberg is not. And for many of us, that is the part that oftentimes being untouched by the gospel. And so I'm so uh, encouraged and proud of just you sticking on this series because this is not easy. And as I look at the, the screen, many of you are, are teenagers and, and let's be honest, like I think for some of us as adults, these are difficult, difficult topics. And my encouragement to you is that let's not let this to be just a one and done, um, um, step of obedience, one and done opportunity to, to let God work in that 90%, but continue on. Keep these in the back of your mind. Keep this in your heart as you, as you walk with Jesus, uh, however long God will, um, give you in this life that will continue to allow God to penetrate deep into our hearts. I want to share this with you, um, kind of remind us why we're doing this is because, uh, as we think about, um, our discipleship, our, our, uh, us being more and more like Christ, oftentimes we think of just coming to know Jesus, then we attend some, uh, church and then we kind of get involved and then we expect to make impact and that worked for a certain, uh, level. But what we're challenging you and challenging my God's challenging me to is that we'll not only do that, but we'll really like God to expose, to heal, to transform, to, to not just inspire us, but really change us. The metaphor of a butterfly, uh, uh, a caterpillar changing a butterfly. I think there's so much that are underneath us that we have not let God to change. And I believe the, the deeper we are willing to let God change us from the inside out, the greater that impact is. I mean, I just imagine you, uh, no matter how young or how old you may be, your friends, your neighbors, your family members, just see this deep, deep transformation in you. That might just be the greatest witness to an unbelieving world. So I want to encourage you to continue uh, to uh, follow with us. Uh, talk about these pathways of going, letting God change from deep inside of us. We talked about how we need to know ourselves so that we may know God, that God created each one of us uniquely. Uh, we also talked about we need to go back. We need to go back and look back in our family, just generations on, and just see different things that get passed on to us that was something perhaps we were unaware of, both good things and also at times um, sinful and, and, and destruct, destructive behavior and patterns. And we need to pay attention to it and repent of it and ask God to give us to substitute those things with his uh, goodness and his word and his truth. And then we talked about last week uh, about journeying through the wall. We talked about Abraham, how difficult it was for him uh, when God asked him to offer the very gift, the greatest gift that God has given him, his son. The one he prayed for, waited for 25 years. And yet at those moments in our when we hit the wall, how do we continue on how do we when we think when life doesn't make sense yeah we continue trusting god so today we're going to continue on that difficult topic we're going to talk about um how do we enlarge our soul through grief and loss this is very similar to what we talked about last week about um the wall at times the wall can be a grief a crisis a loss that we uh that we have encountered and oftentimes does not make sense and one of the things we want to talk about today is how through grief and loss, seemingly negative, negative, difficult circumstances in our lives, God used that to make our soul bigger. 
so that we can receive more of God. Perhaps we can know God in a way that we would never have experienced him before. And so uh, when you think about it, you know, let's, let's be real, right? Like our lives are filled with griefs and loss. In fact, you think about the very moment you uh, came into earth when you were born. Out of your mother's womb, you lost that very comfortable place that your mom's womb was. You you start off your life by losing by that comfortable, comfortable place. You know, you think about we all have lost um, family members, perhaps. Maybe we've lost our health in some way. We, there are over 400,000 people in in U.S. that have passed away because of COVID. Over 2 million people. Lives being lost by this virus, caused by this virus, and that's not adding on to many other uh, diseases and illnesses in this country, in this world. You know, we've, we've lost relationship. Perhaps some of us have, have family members who passed away, family members that we love dearly. We've, we've lost, we've broken relationship. Maybe you were dating somebody that didn't work out. Maybe, uh, you have experienced, um, a, a, um, a strain on relationship with your family. We moved from one place to another. I, I, I grew up in Hong Kong, moved to America and, uh, and during my teenage time, teen, teenage years, and that was a critical, critical time that I've lost. Uh, in fact, many of my support group, my friends, and you have experienced that you move from one city to another, you relocate, your family relocate. And so there are a lot of losses and griefs in our lives. Whereas you have lost even, uh, your phone for, for two weeks, and that's a humongous loss. There are broken dreams, broken uh, ambitions, desires of our hearts that, that didn't work out the way we thought it was, regrets in your life that you wish you'd never done that, and yet there are loss in our lives. And depending on your family upbringing, your cultural upbringing, we all deal with losses differently. I remember when I was younger, um, I was really young. I remember going to a funeral with my family. I just remember back then my parents were not Christians. All, most of my family were not Christians. They just tell me, don't say anything. Just keep quiet. And, and, and it was one of my, one of our relatives who passed away and, and just, just act like nothing happened. Just be quiet. It'll be over. And, and, you know, over as I got a little older, you know, my parents have taught me to deal with grief better. But for many of us, we're taught as, Asians and Chinese oftentimes just kind of sweep it under the rug. Don't deal with it. You know, don't even talk about it, right? Like Chinese New Year coming up. I remember my mom used to slap my hand uh, when I make reference to even death, like around Chinese New Year. That's not that's not a good thing to do. And and I think oftentimes as as Christians, even we inherit those thoughts and and we thought we should not deal with grief. We have this lie in our in our mind that if you're a good Christians. Everything will be good, right? Romans 8, God works for good for those who love him. And, and so just keep trucking along, sweeping on the rug, nothing would happen. But you know what God says in his word? One of the most amazing things is that God never shies away from our grief and loss. God never said, don't deal with it. In fact, one of the biggest pushback people have on Christians have toward uh, Christianity is that they thought that Christianity is just a cop-out. Oh, you can't deal with life, so you need some sort of cop-out, so now you believe in God, so you can deal with what you're going through. And most people think that it is just a weakness, but yet I would argue when the the uh, the Bible teaches us 
that the real the reality of these loss and grief is what makes Christianity so real. God never just say pretend nothing happened, everything is good. God never tells us to live on that ten percent. He said there are a whole lot of laws in your life and my life, and God said you can deal with it. Yo, I'm I'm there for you. So much that He gave a whole book called Lamentation, lamenting, grieving. In the book of Job, oftentimes when we think of lamenting, grieving, and loss, we think of the character Job. In the book of Job, Job spent 35 chapters wrestling with God for all that has been taken away from him. Ten of his children, all his possession. One of the most wealthy wealthy man at, at that time lost it all. And he spent 35 chapters grieving. Two-thirds of the book of Psalms. Some said it's the, 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 the songbook of our hearts. Two-thirds of that book is about grieving. So how can we say that God doesn't care about our grief, care about our God cares a whole lot. And in fact, he wants us to deal with our loss. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weep over the people of God being disobedient. Nehemiah, before looking at the, the ruin of the wall, he cried and begged God to do something. God wants you and I, you and me to deal with our loss so that we can experience in a way that we've never thought. And I think the best example, hopefully the biggest encouragement for you is not just what I just listed. I believe the most powerful example for us that should give us courage to deal with our loss and grief is our Lord Jesus. I mean, think about it. if Jesus dealt with his loss and grief, Jesus grief, and we're called to be like Jesus, how much more we need to embrace our loss and grief because God has something more for us through those darkest time in our valleys of our lives. And so I thought today we'll go to uh, perhaps one of the darkest moments in Jesus' life. Uh, in fact, um, b- up before the cross, this is the moment that he wrestled with the most with, 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 with what's coming onto his life and being hung on the cross. So if you have your Bible with you, would you join me in Matthew chapter 26? We're going to take a look at the Bible and the story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. A very powerful, powerful story. Of how Jesus modeled for us. What does it mean to deal with sorrow? And I hope this will be encouragement for you. So let me pray for us as you turn there. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We look to Jesus, the man of sorrow, who carried all of our burden of sins, our penalty of sins. We thank you for your example in Matthew 26. God, would you open up our eyes today, help us to see, help us to listen to you. How in embracing our loss, embracing what grieves our heart, Lord, that you are actually doing a new work in us. You're doing a work that uh, apart from suffering, apart from, from grieving and loss, we cannot experience. So God, teach us. Lord, I believe there's some of us who are grieving, who are grieving over our loss today in this season of our lives. God, give them hope. Give us faith. God, use me. Speak to me. Speak through me. Lord, may only the words that are of you come out of my mouth. Help us to receive it. Help us to be doers of your word and not just listen to your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Let us begin in reading in uh, chapter 26, verse 36. Here's what it says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciple, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciple and said to them, Sleep, take your rest, and sleep, uh, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I think perhaps it might be a familiar uh, story for many of you. Perhaps you might be even wondering, why did Jesus get so down when he knew that he was going to be resurrected in just a few days? But before we get there, I want you to really feel this passage because it is so easy to just go past it and say, oh, the disciples were sleeping, Jesus was praying, they got up, then Jesus, we just kind of go on and, and, and forget the, the intensity of grief that Jesus experienced. I mean, look at the passage. He says, th- verse 37, he took Peter and James and John and he says, Jesus had be- began to be sorrowful and troubled. In our translation is there is this horror, this anguish. Like there's this, this, this knot in his stomach that is so painful, so painful that in verse 39, he said he went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed. I don't know what experience you've had in your life, but it got to be pretty bad. When you just throw yourself down on the ground and just be on your, on your knees and just lay down there and just cry out to the Lord. And that's the intensity of grief that Jesus was experiencing. It is not just, just internally. It was almost like he was feeling the weight of all the people saying the weight that he, the wrath of God he's about to experience. And then he, in, in, in Luke chapter 22, the parallel account, it says that he was, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Scholars have many reasons for it. Uh, explain to uh, a physical reason. There are this condition that when you're so in so much pain that you start sweating and your blood vessels are bursting and then there's blood dripping off. But whatever it is, we know that it is a serious, serious wrestling of Jesus. We hear it in his prayer, but I wonder if we're standing there right next to Jesus, like the three disciples. The, the, uh, what, what do we really hear? Perhaps Jesus pray a lot, but just like your experience, perhaps my experience is when we're in pain so often, we're not praying any words even. But we're just groaning. And that is what Jesus about to experience because he knew in just less than 24 hours, he will be hung on that cross. 
he will be ridiculed. He will be made fun of. He will be challenged. He will be flocked. Flesh will come off his body. He will be bleeding, carrying a heavy cross. And yet beyond, above all of those, he will be betrayed by his own disciple, Judas, and that all the rest of the disciples will turn away from him. He will experience emotional uh, rejection. And even above all of those physical, emotional pain that he will be experiencing, above it all, on the cross, Jesus will experience the turning of God's face away from him. The very one whom he has been with for eternity. The most perfect union that you can think of, Jesus and the Father, and and, and bearing our sin. Jesus knew that the wrath, full wrath of God, the wrath that you and I procure over our sins, will be laid upon Jesus. He will be carrying the cross, carrying our sins, carrying our penalty from the past, present, and the future. And that will be the sorrow that he will be bearing. That's why Jesus keeps saying, God, Father, take this cup from me. Take the wrath from me. I don't want to experience, I don't want to experience that. There's this deep, deep sorrow in Jesus' life. And we see here, Jesus did not pretend none of that happened. Jesus did not give some good church answers. They know, like, I'll be, I'll be all right. But Jesus fell on his face, cried out to the Lord and prayed and even asked God, if you can just take this away from me. Jesus was honest. Jesus embraced that great grief, embraced that, that loss. And there's so much in this passage I want to share with you, but, but as I'm praying, there's just two things I want us to point to, point us and hopefully encourage you to embrace whatever loss and grief that perhaps you're going through or you'll be living with for years. Because some of us have been carrying that in our hearts and never got rid of him. Never opened up that 90%, let God come in and take care of and heal us. Here's the two things I want to encourage. The first one is this, that I want you to, I want to encourage you. To lean in to these interruptions of our lives. Lean in to these interruptions. For many of us, grief and losses seem like interruption. Isn't it? It's just interrupting my life. Like my life is going so well. My school is going well. My family is going well. And all of a sudden... I lost a family. All of a sudden, this disease, this diagnosis came to my life. All of a sudden, I have this bad experience with other people, with the church, whatever it may be. There's this loss in our life. It seemed to be an interruption for us. And what we do with the interruption oftentimes is because we feel like this is my plan, my project, my, 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 my blueprint for us, a good life. The pain and the grief, the loss become interruption. And we say, I'm just going to keep going forward. I'm going to pretend none of these happen. And oftentimes we just use addiction. I know when I use the word addiction, you might think, oh, drugs. And, and some people do. They use those, uh, use those, uh, substances to, to numb themselves. But perhaps you don't use those things, but but you might use something else. Maybe, maybe you just binge watch Netflix. You just binge watch YouTube so that you can numb yourself a little bit. Don't feel that pain a little bit. Uh, take a break from those pain. 
Maybe for some of us, we just swipe our phones endlessly. We just follow that keep endless swiping. Because somehow it gets my mind off of the pain that I'm going through. For some of us, it might be working more. I'll work 60, 70, 80 hours a week so that I don't have to deal with, come face to face with these really painful things, these interruptions in my life. We stuff ourselves with food. We stuff ourselves with dessert. We stuff ourselves with drinks. Whatever it takes. We, we even do good things for other people. I try, we try to be saviors for other people so that I won't have to deal with my own loss and grief. We demand others to fill the void that we may have in our lives. But here in this story, in this account, I want to remind us. Jesus, while being fully God, he was also fully human. And as fully human, grieving is part of what it means to be human. Jesus grieve over what is about to happen to him. You see, we need to grieve. We need to have loss with pain in our lives because there are sin in this world. That is so central to the gospel. You see, when we don't come to terms with that, we say, oh, there's no nothing broken in my life. Nothing is painful in my life because we, we stop seeing that there are real sins that happen in your life and my life and what people can do to us. When we don't see that we missed out on the beauty of what God has done already for us through Jesus, the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates for us here that to grieve, is to be human. And so what that means is that when we don't grieve, we lose a part of who we are as human being. I mean, think about Jesus grieved heavily in this past, but Jesus also wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was weeping the last week and as he entered for the last time, he weeped over the disobedience, the people who are deceived by the enemy, not receiving him as Christ. Jesus taught in the beatitude, in the beginning of, of his teaching in the ministry, he said, blessed are those who mourn. If you mourn, if you, you, you deal with those grief and those loss, you mourn and be sad over them, you're blessed. See, when we lean into those pain, lean into those sorrows and loss, we open up our souls to places where God want to take us. Here's really important. I want you to remember this. See, when we come to terms with our humanity, then we start to realize God's divinity. See, when we open up our souls to, to, to come face to face with our losses, with those things that grieve our hearts, with what is not right and what is painful, you know what it does to us? It makes us realize we're just merely human. We're not as powerful as we think. We're, we're not as, as, as control, has as much control as we are. And when we really know that, feel that and convinced of that, then we help us to look up to God and say, God, I need you. God, I need your help. I need God because I can no longer do this on my own. See, every time when we come to terms with what what is not enough in ourselves, when our own true, full humanity, the limitations, the loss in our lives, 
our souls, our eyes, God, our, the eyes of our souls got bigger to see God more clearly. That God is God and we're not. In fact, it leads us to the next thing is this is why it's so important that we need to lean into these interruptions. Don't pass them by and just pretend nothing happened because it gives us an opportunity to do what, it, what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about right now. Not only do we need to lean into this interruption, we also need to learn to fall. For many of us, we don't want to fall, isn't it? That is so against what this world tells us. I got this phrase actually from a book title by a guy named Philip Simmons. He uh, he contracted ALS at the age of 35. ALS is very uh, uh, more commonly known as a Lou Gehrig disease. It's a very de- um, destructive disease. It's a neurological uh, neurological disease that lo- you lose the, the your your functioning of your muscle and just and there's no cure to it. And at age 35, he was a uh, 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 professor. His career started happening, his family started happening, and he contracted the disease. And as he walks through and comes face to face and grieve that he knew that he doesn't have a lot of time on earth left, he wrote this book and started sharing what he has learned from God. That he learned to fall, and in his falling, he realized that there's so much more life. And that's what happens when we come face to face with our grief, when we lean into those interruptions, when we open it up for God to do something in our pain and our grief, we're learning to fall because the world tells us to just to quote, uh, our, our, one of the cultural theologian, Kanye West, our society tells us to get better, faster and stronger. Get more. It's the way of climbing the ladder, getting better, getting more. That's the way of life. That's what you're going to feel alive. But yet we see the way of Christ is the way of descending. Jesus said, you want to be first, be last. You want to live, die. The way to, to the crown, Jesus showed us. It's through the cross. The way up is through the way down. And so grieve while it feels so, so opposite of what this world thinks. See, Jesus tells us that we have an opportunity to learn to fall. What do we fall to? Here are three things I want to share with us. Three things. The first thing is this. Learn to fall to the will of the God. Learn to fall to the will of God. That is one thing God is constantly doing in our life. He wants to help us to fall to his will, the best will for us, not our own will for ourselves. Three times in this passage, Jesus himself, as he comes face to face with this grief and loss and sorrow, he prayed three times and say, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if this can be, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So leave them again. He went away, pray for the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus keep praying and praying. Even though he's feeling the sorrow and loss in his life, he keeps saying, God, not my will, but your will, not my will, but your will. That's what Jesus wanted the most. In Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. In a way, there is this commentary of this story. It doesn't say it's the Garden of Gethsemane, but I, I think it's making reference to that. 
There's this truth that we need to learn as we learn to fall in, into the will of God. Here's what it says in Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. In the days of his flesh, meaning Jesus was human, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. I, mean, I just imagine that's where the story of the Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was doing that and to him who was able to save him from death. He's praying to God the Father. And he says this, he was heard because of his reference to the Father. And look at verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You know how Jesus learned obedience to the will of the Father? Not just by saying, oh yeah, I'll do the will of the Father. No, not just by, oh yeah, of course. I'll. It is easy to say that we want the will of God. Right? Think about young adults, all, all of us, we pray that all the time. We want the will of God. But you know how do we God learn to be obedient to the will of God? The author of Hebrews tells us, and Jesus demonstrated for us, he learned it through what? Suffering. He learned it through suffering. He learned it through pain. He learned it through loss. And here's how oftentimes we find the will of God. Not when everything is going out, when things are not going well, when we're grieving the pain, God somehow revealed to us the, his will for us. I think of when I was uh, some of your age, when I moved to America, I've lost my friends. My, most of my family members are still overseas. That was a huge loss for someone who is 12, 13 years old. But you know what God did through that pain, through that loss? God birthed in me a burden for others who are perhaps going the same exact thing that I've gone through. God, in giving me, experiencing this loss, birthed a ministry for me to minister to those who perhaps are going through the exact same thing as some of you are in those places. Your parents, your family moved from overseas to here and you're experiencing that. Lostness and, and God birthed in me that, that opportunity. I, I recently talked to a brother, uh, who led a prayer meeting, prayer gathering for parents who have autistic children. He didn't just start that because he thought, well, I have, uh, this really interesting ministry. He started that because he wrestled through day in and day out his own autistic child, his, his own autistic son. He felt that pain every single day and he realized that God called him to do something about this pain and, and start gathering people to pray and even use that as a way to reach out to autistic family. I think of a, a well-known pastor, Rick Warren and Kay Warren. They've lost their son through suicide. He has a, a great ministry already and you know what God used that pain for? To start this mental health, this, this ministry to help many others who are struggling with it. Think about in COVID season, how many of those people are being blessed because of what he had gone through. Painful, painful loss of their own son. And so that's what God wants to do. He wants us to fall into his will. And sometimes he needs pain and sorrow to do that with us. Here's second one, learn to fall on our knees in prayer. We're not talking about just some good, Churchy sounding prayer. But when pain and loss and grief happen in our lives, we have an opportunity to learn to fall on our knees, on our face to pray. Look what Jesus did. He fell on his face to pray. I want to give you a great 
model from Jesus how to pray. Perhaps some of you are in pain. Some of you are in grief. Just wanted to share with you three practical things in his own prayer. In Mark chapter 14, a parallel story. Again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed this. He says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Three things you can pray for when you're in grief, when you are in sorrow. First thing is this, pray by declaring who God is. Don't just trust your emotion. Trust the Bible. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus believed on the power of God, that God is almighty. He said this, he said, all things are possible for you, Father. He leaned back into what he knew to be true. He go back to what is real, is true right here. That will never change. He goes back to his theology of God. This is why it's so important you and I read the scripture so that when in times of struggles, in times of pain, we don't just revert back just to our emotion, which is just dashboard indicator of what's going on. But the word of God tells us the God that we believe is all powerful. And that's what Jesus said. Pray, declare, and believe that God can do all things, even in your pain and sorrow. That's the first thing. Second one is this. Be honest with your requests. Look at what Jesus prayed. He said, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. Jesus said, Jesus wasn't hiding. Jesus wasn't praying some nice churchy prayers. Oh, my God. Um, things are okay. No, Jesus really prayed that. He said, take this cup from me. It's too hard for me to bear. We need to be honest with God. And, and think about it. God knows all things. Why would... Can we really lie to God? Can we really play this reverse psychology game with God? That Oh, God, I, I'm okay, but really we're not. Like God knew our heart. But you know what? When we pray honestly with God, it opens us up to put our faith in him. So we need to declare that God, all things, we need to believe and trust God and pray that God, all things are possible for you. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I, I need, God. I, I'm praying, asking you honestly to take this away from me. David frequently prayed in his lament prayer, being honest with God. And here's the last one, the really important one. Don't stop right there when you're in pain and sorrow and pray this prayer. It's the last part is this, that Jesus prayed, yet yeah, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus prayed with open hands and open hearts because he believed that God can do all things. Believe he, because he believed that God will listen to his honest plead. But pray also that not our will, but God's will be done. And in fact, that's what God did, the Godfather did. His will through the death of Jesus and resurrection of Christ. You and I are sitting together, worship together. Here's the last one I want to share with you. How, what do you fall? We need to fall to the support of community that God has given, gifted us. The church body. I don't believe it is a coincidence that God, Jesus brought three of the disciples to go with him in prayer. Think about it. G, these three disciples were, they are about to deny Jesus. Peter, by uh, of all of them, was going to design just three times. Yet Jesus brought them along and setting them aside and say, pray with me, pray for me. While Jesus go a stone throw away in Luke chapter 22. 
when you are in pain and sorrow, the easiest thing to do is what? Shut the door and keep everyone away. But the church, the body of Christ, is meant to be a gift to hold us, to support us. You heard me talk about this phrase frequently last few weeks about alone together. As American Christians, we love the alone part, not so much the together part. When we are hurting, we just don't want people to come and bother us. But those are the times that we need our brother and sister to come alongside to be with us. But one, one note I want to point out to us is this. Notice Jesus brought them and then Jesus walked a stone throw about 30 yards away from these guys too. There are things that the church cannot do for you. The church cannot grieve for you. You need to grieve. You need to deal with the loss. You need to come before the Lord. You need to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed. But the church, brothers and sisters, let's surround that person. Let's not fall asleep like the disciples. Let's pray vigilantly. Let's pray earnestly for those who are suffering, who are who are at a loss. Let's stay awake for them. Let's pray on them. Let's pray for them. But you need to do your part in coming before the Lord. We can't grieve for you. But let's also not be like Job's friends. Let our presence be a gift, not be annoyance to those who are suffering and sorrowful. I want to, I want to, before we break off to just for a couple minutes of discussion, I want to, I want to ask you this question to consider. What are your natural defense to shield you from grief and loss? As we break off, we'll do maybe about 10 minutes. I listed here some of the ways that perhaps we, we would commonly use to defend, to, 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 to defend and not deal with our loss. Maybe through denying, through minimizing, through blaming people, blaming ourselves, over-spiritualizing things, rationalizing excuse, distracting ourselves with something, becoming hostile. Again, remember, we have this time just to get us started. We encourage you to continue on afterwards in your small groups, but let's get this conversation started. And then when we get back, I want to end on a, a final note and one more point to wrap our service together. So let's break off into our groups. Um, and then we'll be back in a few minutes. I want to end on this, uh, picture here because, um, in, uh, Japanese art, there's a, th- uh, uh, an art called Kinsukuru, Kukuroi, and, uh, it's basically taking broken pieces of pottery, uh, can be glass plates, cups, and what they do is actually, uh, insert these gold or silver lacquer, kind of put it back together. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what God does with us, with our griefs, with our loss, right? Like when we put it back together, we can do our best to piece it back together, but it doesn't matter. It will not piece back together the way it is. But what God does, he doesn't just put us back together. And he actually put gold and silver in those places where it was broken and hurt. And as a result, it becomes more beautiful, more precious and I don't think it's coincidence that when Jesus was resurrected, Jesus could have a glorified body without scars. And remember what Thomas asked? Show me your scar and what Jesus showed him? 
his scars on his nails and, and the nail, the scars on his on his hands and feet. And in the same way, I pray that whatever that you're going through, if it's not anything before, but even through COVID, let's take some time to grieve over what we have lost maybe in COVID. And I believe the gospel truly put gold back into our lives so that we can display for the world to see the glory of God. 